Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio, why won't you play our promo? I might know nothing, but I do know winter is coming. Hockey season. Listen to the Isles Beat podcast with your hosts, B.D. Galloff and John Jordan, before it's too late. Howdy, folks. It's B.D., and um, I welcome you to our um, Isles Playoff Recovery podcast as as we attempt to get over uh, a blown game three and uh, just as you might have read in the blog or seen the tweets or um, you know or just you know anybody else's natural reaction to uh, what was a blown game three uh, very tough to to swallow speaking of swallow Let's speak to John Jordan. Howdy, John. Oh, we, we're really starting off on the right foot here tonight, aren't we, man? I have, very little, <laughs> I have very little to smile about after that last night, and you got me to laugh there. I, I, think, uh, I think that's an accomplishment all on in, all in its own. Um, I think that the, uh, the uh, faux Jon Snow lead-in to this, this particular episode is fitting, uh, because as it was recently revealed, he is, in fact, alive. Uh, and although we, you've you've informally dubbed this the playoff recovery episode, as to insinuate that the Islanders are dead, they too are still alive. However, doesn't really feel like that today, does it? I can tell you that I was not kidding uh, via Twitter last night when I commented, or this morning, that I lost sleep on both ends of, of uh, the evening after the game was over there. I don't think I'm the only one out there in Islander land to uh, admit as much. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I have to stick with my initial pick, right, which was Islanders in six. And, you know, it's kind of if you want to look at a positive spin, hey, it's on track for that. It's just hard to focus on anything positive after such a, 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 a glaring lost opportunity. But <clears throat> we are professionals, right, or at least we aim to be. And uh, we're going to put on uh, our humble hats today. And uh, welcome uh, a longtime friend of mine uh, and former colleague, former co-host of mine when I co-hosted a Tampa Bay Lightning podcast several years back. My old friend, Mike, Cor- Mike Corcoran, who uh, covered the Lightning for many years, as I did, um, will be on with us shortly to see things from a Tampa perspective. We'll, uh, we'll shoot the breeze a bit. And uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll have Broadway Jay back on later and maybe even have some time for some calls tonight, although I think that might be a dangerous endeavor. So we shall see, but <laughs> trying to keep a smile on my face and uh, we'll see how that goes as the show progresses. Yeah. It's, you know, that's the kind of game 
Um, well, you know, there's a couple of things. Look, I remember there was a couple of tweets and some people felt to have some sort of opinion that for some reason Tampa Bay Lightning was a lesser team than Florida Panthers and somehow the Islanders had easy street and that's not the case. Um, very different team, an experienced team despite their injuries and, um, you know, despite uh, getting uh, Ben Bishop the first you know, in that first first time, um, he has bounced back and been pretty steady while Thomas Grice has really not been. If you've been following along my tweets, um, his, his play um, and, and, you know, one of the reasons that you see that, that, you know, I think that Islander fans are seeing a lot of defensive breakdowns is, well, they make defensive breakdowns all the time. The difference is that Thomas Grice makes the save. What's happening now is in those high danger situations, he is not making the save. There is uh, just in the, this last game three, almost a uh, 14 to 15 point difference to what his average is in the last two years in high danger saves. And just to go into a high danger save, if you're saying, what the fuck are you talking about? Is basically. And we are. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's one of those situations where uh, it is a, uh, a scoring chance that is um, game saving or, uh, you know, what looks like like it could be a clear goal uh, right in front of the net, uh, a clean chance. And that has been a big drop off uh, to give you an example. Ben Bishop is at 90% save percentage on the high danger saves. So that's phenomenal. Meanwhile, uh, Grice in game three was 70%. So that, that's no good. And, and, and that's really the difference. You can, you know, anybody who's still siding or pulling out hair over a boil, that wasn't the, the, the issue. Those things happen. Uh, the issue is blowing um, a, a succession of things, which if you followed along the blog and also John and my comments, there is a, a succession of items to question. Um, yeah. <laughs> all centered around really coaching, coaching decisions. Um, <laughs> you know, that this is, uh, look, you know, we're in the second round. It's a little bit of gravy. We've got, we've got past the, uh, the, the big hump of getting past the first round pressure and expectation builds, um, noticing some, some bizarre b- decisions that really put the Islanders in a, in a, in a bad way. And yeah, uh, it has to do, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in there. I'm sorry. I, I you know, just to, to, to build off the, the coaching angle, you, listen, I'm the one on this show all year long and via other mediums all uh, previously for many years now that is so quick to jump all over coaching, right? We talked about it a thousand times on the show this year. Uh, I, I've been doing my best to try and back off of Jack Capuano since the Florida win. I feel like at least, He's owed that much, right? After 23 years of not being able to get out of the first round or so on and so forth. That being said, and even having lost game two prior to last night, starting with the decision to have Steve Bernier in the lineup and have Ryan Strom sit. Steve Bernier, who barely played in the regular season, if you go back and look at, at the number of games played. Steve Bernier, who uh, at the beginning of game three, when the Islanders were up one to nothing, blew a 
golden opportunity to make that a 2 nothing lead on the doorstep, one that I'd like to believe that these hands that haven't scored a goal in several years could have still buried in that situation. I know that's easy to say. I'm only half kidding. And then more, more egregious of an error than anything else, with a minute left to play in the game, uh, defending a one-goal lead, with the fourth line being as effective as it was, and we all know how key that is to an Islanders' victory, having just come off a very successful shift, unfortunately resulting in a defensive zone faceoff, but nevertheless, they come off, and who comes on? Not the second line, not the third line, not the fourth line again after a timeout that Jack Capuano had in his pocket with 40-some-odd seconds left, but the top line featuring John Tavares, featuring Kyle Oposo, and I believe Franz Nielsen was out there on that shift too. The reasoning behind it, as given today, I believe, was to have 91 and 51 out there in case one of them got booted from the draw, but I don't care. In that situation, if they're up one, two, even three goals in a playoff game at home, potentially series-changing playoff game at home, when you have the lead like that, that unit does not need to be out there in any of its many varying incarnations. You have other options. You have a timeout to burn. You don't get to keep your timeout for the next game if you don't use it. There's no reason to not get your guys composed there and figure out a way to get the right assignment. I saw that playing out in real time, and I said to myself, he's not really going to throw 91's line out there, is he? And then they did, and then they let Jonathan Druin dance around and gave him all the space in the world and enough time to make a perfect pass for the game-time goal, and that, that, more than anything else, is what lost the Islanders that game last night. It wasn't Brian Boyle's hit on Thomas Hickey, whether you liked it or not. It wasn't him skating backwards into the zone that most people thought was offside, but if you took a look at the rule book like I had to, you realize that that is actually an onside play. I'm still surprised after 30-plus years of watching this game sometimes. It wasn't even so much as blowing as many single one-goal leads as they did in the game. To me, it was that very moment, those close, that closing minute and that decision right there. There is no one that can tell me that that wasn't the incorrect decision. And for that, Capuano has to be held accountable. Absolutely. And, and not only that, look, you're going to know from this series when he's, you know, look, um, we've talked about Jack for many reasons this season, up and down. They still performed and were resilient enough to get through Florida. I don't know if that's the reason for this is the coaching. And it seems to be more of the, of the talent. And there are many decisions um, from, from personnel, which we've brought up over the course of the season. Uh, let's bring up one, the, the use of straight over clearly better uh, Pellick at first and then Pollock. Um, the, the, the complete, almost ridiculous uh, playing of Bernier, who is supposed to be um, depth in case of emergency being used. Um, which only shows me that, one, he's feeling the pressure and, and the coaching just seems to be looking towards the vets. But the vets don't have a, the skill. And that's what's so crazy about sitting Ryan Strom. 
or, you know, um, you know, obviously Pollock is uh, injured, but even um, the, the overuse of straight during the season, there seems to be this, this almost dunderheaded caveman esque to play off um, the Fred Flintstone um, moniker for, for Jack of, of going to the vets that lack skill set. And I think that's starting to be a, a bit of a problem. And I think that, uh, you know, and this, this has to do with also the game management. Look, um, there are going to be mistakes. Players are going to make mistakes in this high uh, magnified situation. And so is the coaching, but this is a succession of mistakes. And that's my, the biggest issue. Um, and these are, and, and look, game three was brutal. And that's why I called it a brutal succession of mistakes because those mistakes are brutal, not playing Strom. Um, and it wasn't a question of Josh Bailey, um, Josh Bailey's play uh, and bl- actually belongs there because there is skill, even though he's having a terrible season and not a very good playoffs. Bernier is the guy who shouldn't be in there. And that to me scratches my head from here to eternity. I don't get it. Um, the team is beholden to Thomas Grice. Like I said, he didn't have the greatest of games, but, but in the end, all that aside, the offense did enough to put them in a winning position and the coach and game management failed. And that is why game three is a loss. Not Brian, not Boyle, not, uh, you know, not anything else that's on the game management of the coaching staff. And those decisions, and it brings up a bevy of of issues um, that you know of, that we've seen in terms of their of coaching's habits, uh, decisions to to put JT and Kyle Poso offensively are wonderful, defensively are liabilities, and any coach should be able to know that. I know that, and I'm just a blogger, so that you know. Yes, he had a good face-off um, number, but the, to me, that that really I find uh, bizarre. And there's yeah, a bunch it, of things that uh, just it, seem you want really to, strange to me. You know, another another quick thing because I know we're going to lose it, especially once Mike joins us and we'll get on to other things. But another reason why you, you know you don't have them out there in that situation, and like I said, whether it's one goal, two goals, even three in the playoffs to have that line out there. Let's say that for some reason, even though that's a tactical error they are able to preserve that lead and the Islanders go on to win that game four to three as they very well should have. Great. Wonderful. But what, what happens then when the lightning decide to dust it up a little bit after the, the final buzzer, you still made a mistake by putting your top line out there in that situation. Even if they get lucky and get the job done, that's, that's a, a secondary issue. It never came to fruition, but it's still, something yeah, that no, that's true. I, I don't see any reason for that. I had a friend today ask me if there was any possible way that he left them out there. And I believe his quote was, you know, to be greedy so that they might be able to get an empty net goal. I mean, that makes no sense, but the whole thing doesn't make any sense. You know, it's, uh, it's insane. In any event, uh, I believe it's that time. We're going to have a little bit of a, a, a reunion here for me. Uh, I've got an old partner of mine joining my new partner, BD. How do you like that? Is there any sort of jealousy going on here or anything like that? <laughs> uh, no, how could there be? He's a Tampa fan. Yeah, that's true. Well, 
Listen, before I before I unmute you, Mike, I I, th- I believe you can hear us now. I just want to lead into this saying that, uh, you know, I cover the Lightning for for parts of uh, four, I believe, parts of four seasons, maybe a little bit more than that. Mike was alongside me the whole time. We joined forces and hosted a podcast called The Bolt Beat, very similar in name to this one, isn't it? Uh, for a few of those seasons, <laughs> that was the highlight of my tenure back then. Mike wrote. Uh, for several media outlets here uh, in the Tampa Bay area, uh, including the local and then uh, on the radio side of things and the podcast side of things. Of course, he was, was with me, but he was also on the local ESPN affiliate for a time with his own show. In any event, we're getting the band back together for a bit. So, Mike, welcome to Isles Beat, sir. It is great to have you. Wow, thanks a lot for having me. That was a heck of an introduction. And, uh, BD, I, I got I to gotta apologize to you for, for, for me leaving John with you now. I mean, I know some of the struggles that you're going through, so I just want to say I'm sorry right off the bat. Well, I, you should be. You should be, sir. <laughs> well, you know, in my in my defense, uh, once we parted and, and we went on and did some other things after our time covering the bolts was up, uh, it did take me many years to even attempt this again, as you know. So either that's a direct result of uh, the trauma I suffered alongside Mike or the fear from uh, getting into business with you, Mr. Galoff. I don't know which one of it it is or if it's a combination of both, but I'll let you guys hash that out. <laughs> I have a feeling there, there was some trauma here that uh, that slowed you down a little bit. Well, I will say that the one thing that we have uh, to our advantage currently, uh, besides uh, BD and I having a common uh, natural allegiance to the team that we're primarily covering, is uh, the distance in between us. Doing this with me here in Florida and him up there in New York actually makes it 100% impossible for us to go through an emergency situation like you and I once went through in the studio where we literally had to kill a, 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 a swarm of insects in the middle uh, of a recorded show that a lot of it actually made the air, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. There was no way I was going back and editing out every single time one of us tried to take out that fly. And, and it took us the better part of an hour to get the, to get the damn thing. So, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, like, it, once, we, once we started trying to catch the fly, because we really didn't do it on air, or we really didn't try to make a big deal of it on air. But once once we realized that, hey, we might have something here and this kind of turned into to a good little comedy bit, it was just too good to take out of the show. So it was just moments like that that really just made our, our time together doing stuff like this a lot of fun. Yeah, we left uh, we left bug guts and all kinds of stuff on the uh, on the instruments there, but we don't have to tell anybody that. And I hope no, you're not no, listening. That's, that's probably why I've never come back there, to be honest with you. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's get things on track here. You, you know that uh, that's what the Islanders are going to try to do coming up in Game Four here. Um, as we led into the series, you know, Mike and I spoke privately and 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 had kind of similar predictions. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure you will because you were always very good at that, Mike. But I believe you basically said that <laughs> you know the matchup here uh, wasn't heavily swayed in either team's favor. Uh, particularly with Tampa Bay's injury situation. I know that the Islanders' team speed concerned you, but I've seen something of a big difference between game one and two, uh, and then between games one and two and three uh, altogether. And I wonder, uh, you know, if you, if you could just kind of lead into, you know, how you're seeing things from a Tampa perspective so far. I mean, obviously things are going the Lightning's way, at least with a two-to-one advantage. 
Well, obviously, when I looked at this series, and you and I talked about this a little bit before the series started, and I, I think that you went with Islanders in six because you didn't want to have to come back down here for a game seven, and I said lightning in seven because I just felt like at the end, home ice was going to make a difference in this series. And I, the way I look at it is that to this point, I think that everything has gone almost how I would have predicted it would go to a certain extent in that the only difference that if, if I was scripting this, the only thing I would say that I might have predicted differently was that the Lightning would have won game one and the Islanders would have won game two. So the split still would have been there, but I would have reversed the order of how, how the first two games went. But otherwise, I, I just don't see a lot of difference in these teams. And when you look at, at how the Lightning play and – and, for example, with the Detroit Red Wings, when the Lightning played the Red Wings in the first round, the Red Wings try to try to slow you down. They try they, they obstruct better than anybody. They, they just try to slow you down through the neutral zone. And the light has not a favorable matchup for the Lightning, but the Lightning can overcome that because they can outskate a team like the Detroit Red Wings. They can outskate most teams in the NHL, in my opinion. But when you look at a team like the Islanders, the Islanders present something that's a little bit trickier, in my opinion, in that they've got very similar speed, and that's something that – I just don't know how, over the course of this seven-game series, how that's going to play out. Now, so far, the Lightning have gotten a couple bounces, a couple things have gone their way, and I'm feeling pretty good about where they are right now because they just seem like a very resilient team that no matter what you throw at them, they they find a way to overcome it. And and to a certain degree, I, I think that we saw that last night because every time you thought that, the Islanders had the upper hand. The Lightning came right back and, and really got right back into the middle of that game, and they answered everything the Islanders threw at them. So if you're the Lightning today, you've got to be feeling pretty good because from, from my perspective, the Islanders played a terrific hockey game last night. I will take nothing away from, from how they played last night. I, I thought that the first period, obviously, they were the much better team. I thought the Lightning swept walk, swept walk through most of that first period. But as as time went on, you feel like you took the Islanders' best punch and you still walked out of there with the win. So from a Lightning perspective, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good today, but there's still a long way to go in this series. And and, and the Islanders could come back and, and, and win on Friday, and, and we're right back to where we started again. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams respond. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the, the biggest thing now, uh, you know, if this thing is still going to go long, the biggest obstacle in the way of the Islanders are the Islanders. Uh, because of the, 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 the possibility of a letdown after that kind of a deflating loss. Uh, I do agree with you in that I thought that, you know, for, for long stretches, the Islanders did play pretty well. I thought uh, that they showed some mental toughness at times, regaining the lead because we know that a, te- you know, a team can uh, easily get deflated, continuously taking a lead like that, and then giving it right back. Of course, it didn't end up in their favor, and there were some breakdowns along the way and some coaching decisions that we've already questioned here on this very show we'll probably get back into later. Uh, But, you know, putting that that behind me as a fan and as someone that, you know, on this show anyway, covers that team and shares my opinion a lot, I have to be able to put that behind me. It's easier for me to do that, of course. Now, the team has to be able to put it behind them as well. Uh, and that's the thing, you know, going into a game four, they've got to be feeling the pressure. They're at home. They have to come back to Tampa with this thing tied up. I don't think anyone ex- would expect them to stretch this series out and at least have a chance in a seventh game. If they come back down here to Tampa down three to one, uh, how will they handle the pressure? How will they recover from such a, a deflating loss? And how will Jack Capuano adjust? 
that's always been my criticism of him mid in game and also over the long haul. So I think that's the, the challenge at hand uh, for Jack Capuano. I want to uh, get Mike's opinion and then I'll, I'll sit back and let you guys kind of have it out or whatever and see what, what BD has to say about this. But in my opinion right now, the biggest issue for the Islanders is that they're facing a Tampa Bay Lightning team that isn't the Tampa Bay Lightning team that anybody would have forecasted that they would be facing at this point in the playoffs. And I mean that by the fact that they're basically playing a large portion of their AHL team right now. Several injuries out, several key names. Uh, they're defi- nobody's at 100% at this time of the season, but they're definitely not at 100%. And to me, that adds up to the Islanders. And last night is a real indicator into this direction missing a golden opportunity to take advantage of that. You know what? I, I would agree with you in terms of where this Lightning team is right now. I, I don't think that there were high expectations in terms of how deep this team could go once once they got the news on, on Stamkos and once they got the news on Strawman. To me, Strawman may even be a bigger loss than Stamkos. I think you could make that case in, in, in certain areas. But uh, the the one thing that, that – I, I'm interested to see with this team is, is the resiliency that it's shown so far and, and the fact that the, the depth that has been built with this franchise, and a lot of that goes back to Steve Eisenman, and yes, he's had some misses, but when, when you look at the depth that he has put together and and the idea that they can just slot people into certain places and have it work the way it has in this postseason, it just goes to show, I mean, John, you and I remember what this organization was like and when we were when we were uh, wearing together we will shirts. So <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, I, I think it just shows a lot about how far this organization has come in the past few years, and and to a certain degree, I, I think it shows that that maybe this team has something special going on. When you see the type of game that that the Lightning had last night, where they got outplayed for long stretches of that game. And they still found a way. That's just one of those things where, like, you, you kind of wonder, are we seeing something something special happening here considering everything that's going against them right now? Yeah, you know, what's most interesting is also that the, the best players for the Tampa are, are beating the best players of the Islanders, uh, especially, that, especially in that first period. Um, you know, it, Bishop basically, you know, for for something that uh, ended up being a one-one tie out of that first period, um, should have been if it was not Ben Bishop playing really well, could have been three nothing or three one. And the oh. the other aspect that I've, I'm seeing, especially since game one, is uh, Hedman's uh, emergence over uh, John Ta- Tavares. I, I don't think that. Um, John has been as elite as he's in certainly hasn't uh, didn't do much in the last game. And, you know, it seems to be, you know, when the game is on the line, you want your best players to kind of chip in. You know, it's interesting that you brought up Tavares because I noticed early on in, in game two, almost right off the bat when, when game two was being played here in Tampa, it just seemed like the lightning did an excellent job of, getting in his face and not giving him any space at all to, to do much of anything. Anytime he had the puck, anytime he was near the puck, they were hitting him. And, and it just seemed to me like he was getting a little frustrated as the, as the game went on. And, and to a certain extent, I kind of felt like we saw a little bit of that again last night. Now, it should have been a little bit easier for the Islanders last night because they, they had the matchups, although I'm not really a huge pro- proponent of, of 
the whole match idea of matchups, I think you put your best players out there and, and let them be your best players at all times. It doesn't matter what the matchup is, but I, I, I feel like the Lightning have figured something out with Tavares and, and they're starting to frustrate him a little bit because I don't really see the same player that I saw when he was just, when he basically took over the first round series against Florida Panthers. So I, I want to see how this develops, but it just seems to me like he, he's becoming a very frustrated hockey player because he doesn't necessarily have the space that he had in game one where I thought he played a fantastic hockey game. So I, I think that's been a big key for the Lightning, and I think that, that'll be a big key as the series moves on if he can find the space to, to take over games the way he had been previously in the playoffs. I think you're going to see some of that. I think you're going to see him him bury his head and lower his shoulder and and try to try to drive the net a, a bit like he does uh, uh, some of that fancy stick handling in a phone booth type of stuff that he pulls off sometimes. I think uh, last night I noticed on a couple of occasions that he really went out of his way to try and make a play and set somebody else up. I believe Nikolai Kuhlman was uh, the recipient of a pass at one point. Uh, that was a, a, a key chance and uh, wasn't able to convert. He made my shit list last night for the record. We'll get into that later. But uh, I know that uh, there was there was also a nice play with Kyle Oposo in front. Uh, he was just unfortunately the victim of a bad bounce, something that Mike alluded to a little bit previously that the Islanders are just not seeing going their way right now. Um, but, uh, you know, we, I talked previously about the, the mental toughness and the the, ne- the necessity for the Islanders to bounce back from that, that type of a, a letdown that, that they suffered last night. Um, you know, when Tavares goes south uh, in the postseason, and it's not a huge sample size to go by, you see him kind of, I don't want to say disappear, but just not be the player that he's capable of being for a couple of periods at a time, a couple of games at a time sometimes. It seems to me that so far he's got the makeup to be able to rebound a little bit. But as we've seen before, it can't just all be on him. Uh, This team team goes as Tavares goes, but they certainly need some secondary scoring in the event that he can't get it back together. They got a little bit of of that last night, obviously. He didn't touch the the score sheet or or score a goal himself, uh, but they were able to put four past Ben Bishop, which leads me to my next point. The Islanders put four past Ben Bishop, and I'm probably going to tell you that uh, I'm betting the farm that they win that game. That's the sort of thing, uh, another added element that, that adds to the, to the deflating nature of that loss. Bishop versus Thomas Grice. Bishop's just been a little bit better. So I, I'm thinking back to game one where Ben Bishop was pulled. Uh, it wasn't really uh, you know, a, a huge surprise to see that happen. But that seemed to have an effect on the Lightning. They came out after that, and they played well in front of Vasilevsky, and they've played far better since. So, uh, Mike, you got any thoughts on that goaltending move in the, in game one and how it's affected the rest of the series? Well, I, I think that what you saw in game one was Ben, ben Bishop. I don't know if it was a time off in between the series or, or what it was, but he, he let some goals in that, that 10 times out of 10 he stopped. So, I, I think that it it was more about the team in front of him than it necessarily was about about Ben Bishop though in terms of making the change. I, I do think that that and while Ben Bishop has been great, I thought he was terrific in that first period last night. Otherwise, uh, we may be talking about a very different outcome today. But I don't think we've necessarily even seen uh, his best hockey yet. I, I think he can be better, and I think that he he knows he can be better, and that's kind of a scary proposition if you're talking from an Islanders perspective that Ben Bishop can be better because I think if, if it, I agree with you if he, he gives up four goals in a game it, most more times than not it, it's game over because the Lightning will not win that game but I, I think that 
uh, I think that the fact that Ben Bishop can be better and that he's already gotten a couple of uh, his rough starts out of the way could bode well for the Lightning moving forward in this. I, I think that, that Ben Bishop is the sort of goaltender who has shown in the past that he has gotten better as series has gone on before. So I, I think that benefits the Lightning. But, again, the Islanders are a team that, that if I remember this, that I don't remember the exact number, but uh, for some reason I, I remember the Islanders being a team that, that Ben Bishop doesn't necessarily have the greatest numbers again. So maybe this is a situation where the Islanders just have his number to a certain degree. So we'll see how it plays out. And, and, and you know, something else that has kind of fascinated me about this series, when you look at last night's game and, and you look at, at the momentum the Lightning should have coming off of a win like that, not necessarily how they played early in the game, but the fact that they, that they scored in the last minute and they won that game, you would think they'd have all the momentum in the world. But the way the schedule in this series has worked out and how how weird it is, they're not going to play again until Friday. So I, normally you have a lot of different uh, different changes in momentum throughout the course of a series, and I don't think either team is really feeling that right now with, with the the extended time off between games. And, and it'll it'll return to normal to a certain degree uh, as we get later into the series, but it just kind of takes away from, from both sides, even for, from an Islanders' perspective. After, after game one, you get that big game one win on the road, and then – you have uh, you have a, a lot of time off to, to think about it, and, and you can't really build on any momentum from the previous game. So I guess from an Islanders' perspective after last night, that's a good thing, and maybe it's a little bit of a disadvantage to the Lightning moving forward, and that could actually help them a little bit on Friday. But we'll just have to see. It's just, some, it's just a little weird uh, quirk that we haven't really seen in, in previous playoff series. That's a really good point that I wasn't thinking about yet, and maybe it's just because I was so pissed off at the end of the night last night. Uh, th- thinking to myself, being the, the relative hothead that I am, although I have calmed it down a little bit over the years, Mike, I promise. Um, I, I want, I'm the type that would like to see them get back out there today, but I don't think uh, – I think you got a good point there. I think that might not be the best thing. A couple of things I wanted to make sure I brought up uh, and, uh, and get your opinion on. There's been a few hit, uh, questionable hits in this series. Uh, three of them, to be to be uh, more precise. One uh, would be Casey Suzekis's hit on Eric Condor in Game One. The other would be Thomas Hickey on Jonathan Druin. And the third, of course, the one that's talked about far too much since last night, Brian Boyle's hit on Thomas Hickey in uh, rapid fire fashion. If there is such a thing on these types of conversations that we have, did you have a problem with any of those three? Well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to preface this by saying you know me better than anybody, John. If there is a <laughs> chance for me to bring up the bad officiating, poor officiating, missed calls, I will be the first one to do it. Probably the loudest to do it. I think you would agree with that point. But on all yeah, three should, calls, should we uh, should we remind people that we used to have a segment called Mike's Blown Call of the Week or something like that, right? It's something like that. Was that the name of it? It sounds familiar. I I don't remember if that was the name of it, but. Uh, hey, John, I have a great you know idea. What? Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good call. You know what? On all three of those hits, I didn't have a problem with any one of them. Any single one of them. I thought they were I thought they they were hard hits. I thought that they were hits that that at the same time were perfectly legal. I did not have an issue with any one of them. Not the I, I mean, I'm I'm sure you were hoping for a longer, more drawn out answer, but I really didn't. I didn't have a problem with any of them. 
Well, like you said, you'd be you'd be screaming from the rooftops if you did. And uh, and, and it, honestly, a day later, and and having seen the other angle, um, the only possible argument I can make on the Boyle hit, I think, is that it could have it could have been argued that that could have been called interference. But at the same time, at a different time in the game, if the shoe's on the other foot. Um, if the situation's different, that's not something that anybody really wants to see called in the playoffs. It's unfortunate that it led to the game-winning goal, but I think BD's point and the point that others have made as well uh, remains, and that's that that's not what cost the Islanders that game in any way, shape, or form. So glad to hear that you don't uh, that you don't still have a beef with any NHL official in any way, shape, or form. That's my big takeaway from that. Let's move on to another. No, subject. no, no, no. I, I didn't go there. We, uh, we could get into uh, we could get into Eric Broad if you want because I've got a whole list of problems. That guy. If you, if no, you want to go there. If we start going there, you're going to go on a rant for 45 minutes about Tim Peel and how the crowning achievement <laughs> of your career was when fake Tim Peel followed you on Twitter and all of those. No, the things. real Tim Peel followed me on Twitter. Oh, the real Tim Peel, even better. Well, hey, whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll save that for an off-season show that we bring <laughs> you on for. <laughs> BD, what else you want to gloss over here with Mr. Mike while we have him? I've I've run through a few of my items. I could go on and on, but we're going to end up doing memory lane stuff here. And uh, I, I do have one other thing, but I want to save it to, toward the end of his segment. So I'll let you take over. No problem. Well, the the only thing that I wanted to bring up is um, that the Islanders have not uh, – there's two things. Um, one I've already mentioned, I don't think Thomas Grice is pl- playing like the Thomas Grice of the Florida series or even game one. Um, and two, that the Islanders have not contained uh, the very speedy and small uh, Tampa forwards since game one. And that's what I see that uh, seems to be going on because no matter in game three, their ability to score um, as soon as it went back the other way, they had no ability, despite throwing more hits, they weren't able to really contain the, those forwards and it would lead to, you know, more scoring in the fact that Thomas Grice is not really, um, making the key saves like he was in, in game one or even in the Florida series. So I wanted to kind of just bring that up, uh, before we, you went because that, those t- Two items are, it seemed to be the bane of the Islanders right now. And, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, right when it kind of became official that, that the Islanders and Lightning would be facing each other, John and I were, were uh, talking before the series started. And, and my question to him was, who is going to cover the uh, Tyler Johnson mark? Because in my opinion, how effective whatever group of Islanders players you put out there against Tyler Johnson uh, Tyler Johnson line, the triple line, as we call it, that was going to go a long way in determining how this series was going to go, in my in my opinion, because I, I really felt like that line has has the ability to to win a series almost by themselves. That they their team or their line rather that relies on speed, their line that that can score from anywhere on the ice, their line that can change the momentum of the game in a hurry. So I, I think you're right in, in saying that 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 so far the Islanders have had trouble slowing them down to a certain degree. And if that continues, it's going to be tough for the Islanders because uh, Kucherov is just, he's having a terrific playoff right now. And if, if, so if he continues scoring and the Islanders don't have an answer for that, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to win this series because that is the key to me that that line continues to score. Yeah, I I agree. The 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 fact is, if they can't 
contain the forwards in any way in these kind of score fests, uh, Tampa Bay, despite the injuries and uh, the different issues that they have, the Islanders don't have the offensive consistency and the experience there. And it's really starting to show. Yeah, it, it is. And I think that the one thing that maybe even I underrated a little bit coming into this series was the experience factor. The, the fact that the Lightning made it to the Stanley Cup Finals last year, and they learned a lot about themselves during that run. I, I think they've learned how to handle themselves in situations that, like we saw last night, where they were down in, in the final minute and they found a way, and then they found a way in overtime. I, I think that I think that experience is a big thing when you get to playing hockey in in, in the month of May, and and that's something that favors the Lightning right now, and and. If the Lightning can find a way to win on Friday night, it's going to be tough for the Islanders. I, I think that even though we talked a little bit about how this, how deflating a loss was for the Islanders moving forward, and it may not be as bad because of the fact that there is some time off. The Islanders, the first period Friday is huge for the Islanders. If, if they don't come out and if, if the Lightning come out and do what they they want to do and, and set the pace and, and set the tone for that game. It's going to be tough for the Islanders, so it's going to be very interesting, especially early in that game, to see to see how both teams approach it and see some of the adjustments early on, and 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 just see how the Islanders try to handle the the uh, the triplet line, and to a certain extent how the how the Lightning handled the, the Islanders fourth line. I thought the fourth line to the Islanders was was tremendous in that first game. I thought they were the that line was the reason the Islanders played as well as they did. So I, I think there are a couple of different scenarios that could play out on Friday, and 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 which one is more effective is going to dictate or go a long way as to how that game goes. Well, you know, I, I've said it with you, and and I've said it uh, with BD. I've said it with 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 friends uh, off the air and in casual conversations. It's interesting in the playoffs when that fourth line is going, they're the difference in the game, and when they're not. They're also the difference in the game. I think we saw that in one <laughs> exactly. and two. That, that's another unfortunate circumstance of the way that they lost game three. Is I thought they were going. I thought they were pretty darn good the whole game throughout. I thought they should have been out there for the damn final minute with a timeout called by Jack Adams Capuano. Uh, it didn't happen, <laughs> and we talked about that. And I'm trying to get off that and move on to other things. But um, uh, that's that's a great point. And isn't it interesting that you look at what? What is, you know, without Stamkos, what is undoubtedly the island, uh, the Lightning's top line, the triplets there? It makes sense when you say that they're the difference makers for that team. But then you go to the Islanders and you say that the fourth line are the difference makers. And, uh, you know, it's completely, it's not apples to apples, but it's just an interesting thing to point out and something that uh, is going to be a key moving forward, I think. All right, a few more things I want to make sure we ask Mike. I know we only got a couple minutes and we want to maybe move into some other stuff and let him go back to uh, whatever it is he was doing. I'll leave that to everybody's imagination. Uh, I was in the crowd for game one, Mike. And, you know, even when I was covering the team, I would every once in a while slip in a half-kidding jab at the local fan base based on chants in the crowd or getting a fact wrong or hearing uh, a newbie to the game explain offsides to someone or things like that. And, uh, you know, uh, Nikita Kucherov is a player that has really come of age, uh, developing into a star. I'm sure everybody loves him. I think he's a phenomenal player myself. But when you talk about nicknames and you sit in the crowd and you hear everybody, you know, chant their favorite player's nickname or after he scores, it's kind of sort of natural to yell out, Cooch. That's a rough one. But you can, get, you can get by and you can deal with it because it's part of his name. 
But when the guy next to me yells out, boy, coochie, I had a little bit of an issue with that. Is that something that's widely accepted in Lightning Land, or is that a, an isolated incident? I'll be honest with you, John. That, that's the first time I've ever heard that one, and you know how long <laughs> I've been around that team. I've never heard anybody say anything like that. <laughs> well, I'll just write that off to the fact that maybe I was sitting next to somebody who just bought their first Lightning shirt in Walmart before they came in. Maybe you turned and on I'll, the local sports radio on the way in or something. I don't know what the deal is there. Dude, I vowed to I vowed to not bring that up because I would take this show off the rails and just talk about that guy for a long time. <laughs> uh, quick thoughts, uh, and then i got to ask you one final question after this one, but quick thoughts. You know my my longstanding feelings on Jack Capuano. I know that it's been a good run under John Cooper, and I know you can't compare one team's coach to the other without bringing in all sorts of other variables, but I've always seen John Cooper as a guy who seems pretty darn capable of pushing the right buttons at the right time. I thought he did that pretty well last night. I thought he's done that throughout the playoffs pretty well so far. I'm really, really, really back all over Jack Capuano for pushing the absolute wrong button at the wrong time in the final minute there. But do you agree with, do you agree with that for the most part, or are there times when you're still not sure? Without John Cooper, there, there are times. I mean, look, John Cooper's a great coach. He, he's won a lot of games for this hockey team. He, he has led this team tremendously. He says all the right things off the ice. He's, he's a good quote. But at the same time, you look at John Cooper and, and, and you tell me that he couldn't have found a, a place for Jonathan Druin in this lineup at, at points this season to the point where they sent him down. So uh, there is still, and maybe it's still a fact that that he's still learning as well. I think he learned a little bit from that situation, but there, there are enough times where as much good as John Cooper does, there are times where he makes you wonder with some of his lineup decisions. So you're saying he's a good quote. I wasn't around for Coop as a head coach. I, he, I, I only met him a couple times when he was just coming on board at, I believe what was then AHL Norfolk still. Uh, are you saying that he's not as good a quote as some of his predecessors where we would sometimes get things like, what happened tonight, Coach? Well, we sucked. Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway. Those were the good old days. Yeah, they sure were. Uh, last thing for you. Um, I, I'm kind of forced, I think BD is as well, but I'm kind of forced to sticking to the prediction that I put out there, which is Islanders and six, only because I'm not going to go back on what I said I thought was going to happen. And also because down two to one, you know, technically that's still very possible. In fact, some might argue that it's on track for that. Are you absolutely cemented in sticking to your prediction of A, a very long series either way, or B, what you originally said, which was lightning in seven, or are you at this point ready to accelerate that a little bit for your crew? You know, after last night, I think I'm ready to bump it up again and say lightning in six. I had originally said lightning in seven, but I I think I'm going to – I'm feeling pretty good with how last night played out. I think that – last night was the kind of thing that may be tough to recover from for, from a team that lost that game. So I, I feel okay with, with saying lightning in six right now. Are you also prepared to send an undefined uh, amount of beer to my home if that does come to pass? <laughs> if, if the lightning win in six games, I would have to send beer to your house? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, come on. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no, that's not going to happen. Hey, you you may have forgotten that that I drove the entire uh, leg, a uh, nine hour leg home from the All Star game in Raleigh several years ago, uh, and you got to sleep off some of said beer on that journey. But anyway, 
It has been a blast to have you back on. It's been fun to interact with both you and BD at the at the same time. And uh, although I can't say that uh, you're my favorite person in the world right now in the midst of this current series, again, it <laughs> man, I didn't even bring up that. fantasy football either. So I, I, yeah, I, I'm cutting you off before you can. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the times we had on our show were the highlight of my run back then, and I'm glad to do this. We're going to have to do it again, man, but let's wait until uh, the off season so there's no hurt feelings either way, eh? Sounds good. Sounds good. Best of luck to you guys moving forward uh, with the show and with the uh, series. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Mike Corcoran, everybody. That was, uh, that was fun for me. Uh, Mike still got it. He's uh he's 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 got some coots on the air. Uh we, uh, we had some fun back in the day. We did a little bit. Uh he's kind of stepped away and has gone into doing some other things, but it's a good conversation to have and interesting to hear some things from his perspective. I will say that he's a very respectful adversary even though he might be rooting for the other team at any given time unless he really sees something that's uh you know dirty or something like that the other way. He always has a lot of positive things to say when he can about the other team and I think that makes for some fair analysis, and I think he made some good points. Yeah, and also gives you a good comparison. Look, um, you know, like he was saying, and I've heard, you know, we've heard uh, issues with, uh, you know, rumored with Stamkos and John Cooper. Um, look, here's another coach who um, is having some, you know, learning curve um, and still trying to get a, a feel of personnel. Um, I don't think he's doing the dunderheaded things that uh, Jack Capuano is doing, but there are some questionable and uh, second-guessed moves that he's made, uh, just as Mike brought up with uh, Druin over the course of the series, uh, basically creating basically that whole scenario. Um, so that said, then if you look at who Druin's agent is and all that other stuff, there might be, more, you know, much more to that when you have, uh, I believe, Alan Walsh involved. Um, and you do, said, and uh, that, that's another story that I can chime in on uh, on an off-season episode of ILC. Yeah, yeah. Alan Walsh, I've had experience, is a piece of work, um, <laughs> and, and not necessarily a good one. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that, um, you know, but, but, you know, as he brings that up, look, just as he has cited – you know, Tampa learned a lot about themselves. Well, you know, the Islanders are a, a predominantly young team, uh, a coach who doesn't have a lot of playoff pedigree and are seeing a lot about themselves in this very series right now. Um, they've ridden the, the Thomas Grice train, and I, I don't think that uh, Halak will be starting. Um, it, it, as many as people, bring up and and though rightly that Grice is not uh, playing the way that he was um, if you have seen Halak this season come back every game that he's come back from some sort of layoff or injury he has been horrendous it has taken time for him to work off rust and there's just not that time in a playoff series so I think this is you know this is all about Grice to the very end. And I also think that this next game is a must win for the Islanders. If they cannot win game four at home, it is over. And that's not just, you know, bad juju or, or being down on the team. You cannot give two, uh, two games to Tampa 
with all the issues and, and, and items and uh, snafus that we're seeing. And if they blow game four, it's not, it's not happening. So we're, we're learning a lot and hopefully they're learning a lot, but uh, you know, and I think we should, uh, I think we should uh, let Jay know that uh, we probably need to, uh, some of his take coming up, but I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah. I was going to say, if you need to go wrangle him up, I'm happy to rant for a bit. You know, you, you, you mentioned, uh, the, the must win aspect of game four. Uh, I, I agree with you. It seems obvious to me. Um, I asked Mike if he was going to stick to his original prediction. I said that I was going to have to stick to my original prediction. Uh, your original prediction might be tough because didn't you crank it up a notch and go with the Isles of five? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Yes. I thought that uh, they would have the, wherewithal to contain the forwards and have learned from the Florida series not to be behind. Instead, um, mm-hmm. uh, a whole myriad of issues have all kind of happened in a domino effect. Um, they have not been able now. to... Con- what was that? It's a different problem now, and that in and of itself is a problem. Yeah, it is a different problem, but they haven't been able to do the things that they, need to do, they needed to do on paper contain the forwards. Well, they did it in game one and they won the game and, and chased out Bishop, um, but haven't done it since. And as we saw with game three and when they're not getting the goaltending and they're not getting, you know, the, the offensive back and forth goes into Tampa, you know, maybe the Islanders pull out a game that way, but that really is once again, Tampa's uh, area, not the Islanders. The, the Islanders offense is not that type of offense this year. And I, I, I don't think that they can do that. They need Grice to come up bigger than he's been in the last two games. And they need JT to, to you know, I did think that Kyle Oposo had a lot of opportunity, a lot of shots. And even though uh, Bishop basically stuffed a lot of, a lot of them, I do think he, the, the output and uh, work rate and chances that he's getting uh could amount to something in game four i would watch uh kyle even if not if they're still able to keep jt off the uh map uh with the tallies you might see ko come up big and we've been waiting for that yeah well you know he's on the list too i I alluded to that earlier i thought that we had uh at least a list of four players in my opinion that were terrible in game four or game three rather hopefully nobody's terrible in game four oops uh, that started with, with Kuhlman, who I mentioned before. I thought Calvin DeHaan didn't have his greatest game. I thought Marek Zidlitski was terrible. And uh, I thought Kyle Poso. I, I think there needs to be a lot more from him. Um, you know, and that's and not just an unfortunate bounce over a stick and a good scoring chance. It's, uh, you know, come on, man. Uh, as, one, as one good friend texted me last night, did he forget that he's a UFA? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this is the type of series – I know I see that Broadway Jay is on and uh, I do also see that we have a phone call uh, also. So we'll get to all those. So please be patient. Um, the, but you're right. Um, this is a uh, contract year and Kyle is probably going to be headed elsewhere. Um, he has not really made his mark um, in his playoffs that uh, help his own value. And uh, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, is a, a prime opportunity and incentive. So, and I think on that, on that note, I think we should bring in Broadway Jay, who's going to bring up some uh, uncomfortable analytics is my guess. Earmuffs kids. Hey guys, hey, how's Jay. everybody doing? Okay. Guys, uh, 
Where Enjoy the game? No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, huh? Wow. Oh, that's fucking terrible. I was in 215. You know, I'm thinking about moving my season tickets to a different spot. You know, it's like right behind the net, right where uh, Boyle scored that goal, you know, right by the hickey going down. I was just. It's terrible. I mean, and I've, you know, one thing about being an Islander fan, you guys are just as aware of it as I am, is the um, unending anxiety uh, and the constant yeah. fatalist dread uh, that that fills me. You know, I think all the time about that. Aaron Brock Nelson was, I guess, he got sad or something for a day, and reporters asked him how he felt about it, and he said, "Nothing is fair." It was like a Sylvia Plath type quote. Um, I think about that all the time now. I feel like Brock Nelson every day when I'm watching this team. Um, it was very, very hard to watch. Uh, you know, I felt like they were going to lose the game pretty much the whole time. Um, I don't know why, but I did. Naturally, that's what happened. Um, nevertheless, we it's important for us to remember that tomorrow is another day. Uh, you know, one game is ultimately meaningless um, in the grand scheme. And as the games that they've played this season, this off season, this um, um, playoff season go, this really wasn't bad as some of the outings that they've had. They had a very dominant first period. Um, which I think everybody saw um, and they had a very bad first half of the second and then came back and had a bit of a better half of the second and then the third and the overtime, you know, were not good. Uh, this team has, for whatever reason, and, you know, I think it has something to do with the change in play style from last season. In the third period, they really sit on their hands uh, and get pounded on. Um, when they have leads, they've held a lot of them. They've blew a couple. They blew a big one last night. It was, I think it was hard for everybody. It's really tough. Hey, Jay, uh, you mentioned kind of where you sit. I'm curious about uh, on that, the game winner, which we've identified as not the main reason why the Islanders lost that game. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, first of all, were you able to have a good look at the hit? And from that angle in the crowd, what was your thought on that? Second of all, was the common consensus there that it was an offside play? It's clearly been shown and proven by the rule book to be otherwise, but that was my thought on TV as well. And then uh, when he was able to bury that, did you uh, consider shanking yourself or anything like that right there in the stand? All right. Well, let's take it backwards. Um, <laughs> in regards to yeah. your third question, uh, I was sort of in total shock. Um, and uh, I don't know if it, you could see this on TV, but they, there was a challenge on the play. Um, which I guess leads into your second question. I guess some folks must have thought it was offside. No one around me thought it was offside. Um, all of us, probably fatalists to the last man, were just convinced that it was over. But since people were sticking around and the refs were there, we kind of all just sat there in utter dismay. A few people were throwing stuff, which I, I think is embarrassing and really shouldn't be done. We're grown-ups here, people. Um, ultimately, it's just a hockey game, even if we all sort of eat, drink, sleep it in an embarrassing way for men our age. But even still, like you got to be a grown-up when the game is over. You know, lose. You have to lose with dignity. Um, but I, I, uh, I, you were asking how. What was the first question? Was what I thought of the hit? Uh, I mean, the second we all saw the hit, and it was it was terrible. I mean, I, mean, I sit in the second deck, uh, but still uh, up pretty up close. And um, I, I thought that I thought the hit was really bad from the start. You know, you could see the play. It looked like interference, and it, it looked like an injury for Hickey on the play. Um, we all thought that it should have been blown dead. It wasn't, and then things went pear shaped. But you know. I mean, I say this all the time, and I know it never really sinks in with anybody, but you can't uh, 
individual acts, individual plays do not make a game. It's never just the one goal that they scored, the one the game winner. You know, 5-4 game is never the one goal that was scored. It's the entirety of the game. You know, the Islanders had a lot of great chances to score in the first period. It could have been 4 nothing easily uh, ending the first, uh, and it wasn't, you know. And it's not because, you know, remember, there's another team playing. Right. It's not just like the Islanders are there and either they execute or they don't, you know, they're playing another team that's also trying to win. And Ben Bishop, you know, he stood up and he, he did what he had to do. Uh, of course, no one can stop Josh Bailey. You know, you just hope you can contain him at this point. But, uh, you know, he did manage to uh, put a couple pretty good stops on on Cal Clutterbuck uh, and um, Cal Poso. So, you know, those are those are some pretty good shooters. You know, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Be mad you lose by one goal? You can't be mad about that. I mean, we're mad because we lost, but it's not like the Islanders blew the game in some way, really. You know, and listen, I, I know I wanted to say this because, uh, you know, I always sort of take pleasure in the dismay of others, and I know that a lot of people really hate Josh Bailey um, for reasons that remain beyond my comprehension. But, um, you know, I feel like some people should feel bad about themselves for all the things that they said about Josh Bailey prior to the game. He did have a great game. He scored two goals. He made an unbelievable play um, to burn two defenders, and he looked like the player that everyone kind of wants him to be. So I think some folks owe Josh Bailey an apology. Hey, you know what? It would be very easy for us to really force that issue right now, but unfortunately, I, fe- I mean, I felt great for Josh Bailey personally, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually had yeah. it in my in my mental show notes that everybody can just go ahead and shut the fuck up about Josh Bailey now, uh, but that was me being optimistic at the time, thinking that we were going to win. Uh, hopefully go figure that optimism creeps in sometimes I think people are going to forget about that it's going to become uh, unless the Islanders can turn around and win the series it's going to become what I like to call in sports an Andy Chavez moment and if you're not (laughs) enough that that, that goes back to the to their last appearance in the National League Championship Series in 2000 before uh, or 2006 I believe before this uh, this this last Year's World Series run when Andy Chavez, the highlight everybody's seen a million times, robs a home run. Well, guess what? The very next, in the very next inning, uh, uh, Yadier Molina home run sends the Mets home, and uh, nobody wants to remember Andy Chavez. So, uh, yeah. Josh Bailey, Andy Chavez, common common thread there. Yeah, and Andy Chavez is a guy that everybody thought sucked too. So there you go. Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in that case, it was actually accurate. Uh, like I couldn't hit, but nevertheless, you know, <laughs> good wheels though, right? He could. He was a great defensive player. He could really move. You know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, back to Josh. Yeah, Bailey. So I'm, I'm still happy for him. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I do. I, you know, I, I think Josh Bailey really gets a bad rap by the fans. I don't think it's appropriate. And, uh, you know, I, I ultimately like to be supportive of the players, even the ones that I, I, you know, don't really care for. I think there's no surprise how I feel about Brian Strait, for example. But, you know, oh, good. He I didn't have to bring him up or cough him. <laughs> I know, right? But, uh, you know, he wears the sweater and, you know, we should be cheering for him. And I hope folks really were cheering hard for, for Josh Bailey. I did sort of, I scream and yell whenever they say his name at, at the game. So I can't hear if people are booing or anything, but I get the feeling some people do. Um, you know, but hey, this is my team. I support him. Uh, speaking of which, Jay, I, I, you know, there's been a lot of people commenting on Brock Nelson uh, the last mm-hmm. game or over the last couple games. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of curious what you've been seeing, uh, whether it been analytically or even by the eye test. Um, well, you know, I don't really like to get into my – I don't trust my eyes. One of them's not very good. Uh, the other one's <laughs> not that great either. Uh, so, you know, I don't like to put any tr- – I don't have any – I don't have the hubris to think that I can see everything happening during a game, you know. So I, I prefer to just put my faith in, in the numbers. But, you know – 
Brock Nelson has not been great. Um, he's been sort of in the middling of a bunch of guys who've all been, you know, pretty middling, pretty disappointing. You know, one thing that I do sort of like to look at is um, sort of the, the high high percentage scoring chances for and against. Um, you know, he's in the plus minus part of it, I'm negative six, but in terms of the relative, this is over the course of the playoffs, he's only like a minus 2%, which is really not that bad in the grand scheme, you know, but it does bring us to a couple of other guys who I, I, I also want to talk about. I know that you asked about Brock Nelson, but I'm not going to not talk about two guys I think have been really great. One was Alan Quine, who has really come out of nowhere and really produced, particularly in generating on-ice high-percentage scoring chances. And it's not just because he's playing with John Tavares, because he's doing it even more than John is. Uh, Now, John gets a lot more minutes. I get that. Um, A lot more of those important minutes. But nevertheless, I think that, you know, Alan Quine deserves some recognition for the great play he's provided. And the other guy is Ryan Strom, um, who has been much maligned by our coach, uh, who always seems to hate him. I don't know why. Uh, I really like him, and he's played really well. He's done the best in terms of high percentage scoring chances for on the team. It's plus 15%, which is really great considering the team has been out outchanced quite substantially um, over the course of the two playoff series. And, uh, you know, if they continue to play like this, they're not going to get far, but – uh, you know, for me, it's all gravy. I promised my wife that I would not get angry if they won a series, so I'm trying really hard not to get angry. I uh, don't know if I'm doing a good job. But, um, you know, back to Brock Nelson. He, he, It would be nice if he would do better. He's supposed to be a possession driver. He's not doing that. Um, that's really where he excels, so we need to see a little bit better play. But remember, the playoffs, everyone's good. So you can't be surprised if not everyone can deliver, like, you know, John Tavares, who's basically been, you know, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> what about uh, Bernier uh, in terms of analytics? You know, the team seems to keep yeah. on playing him. Um, yeah, he should be out of the lineup. What was that? He should be out of the lineup. And there's no yeah, question about okay. it. He's easily the worst player on the ice. Him and him and Kuhlman have been just dreadful. And both one or two should be out. And Kuhlman's not going anywhere because he kills penalties. So Bernier's got to sit. Bernier's got to sit for a strong at this point. And I expect that'll happen on Friday. It, it, it has to. And, um, you know, it, it's one of the things that I brought up uh, in the blog and I brought up uh, earlier in the show. Um, there have been some really dunderhead uh, personnel decisions made by coaching that just not only um, go against analytics, just go against common sense. And uh, the fact that it keeps on going to these vets is almost reminiscent of a of, of former coach, Ted Nolan. Mm-hmm. who was basically pushed, you know, basically pushed out uh, by the rebuild. And yeah. you know that the Islanders' vision is analytics. Their vision is the youth. And yeah. the, the more the coaching seems to be going in the other direction is going to have to have a correction. Yeah. I mean, it's something about, you know, the thing is I, I don't like to put it all on cap because I know a lot of people like to – scapegoats are super popular, as you all know. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, people love to scapegoat on cap. But, you know, it's it's tough to watch. It's tough to watch Bernier play and knowing that Strom is, is sitting in the press box. It's not fair. He's a much, much better player. He's a much better player for the future. He's a much better player now. It just really makes no sense. The only difference is that Steve Bernier is old and Ryan Strom is not. And that doesn't seem like a, an appropriate measuring stick. But, you know, it's not just cap. I mean, it's like every coach in the league. I mean, look what happened to Jonathan Drouin. Like, but for his, you know, sort of conduct that everyone got real worked up about, he'd probably still be <laughs> sitting in 
uh, Syracuse riding buses, you know. Um, but they called him up because they need him. And he's a phenomenal player. And without him, where the fuck would this team be? Would they have even beaten Detroit? Yeah, I don't know. So, you know, this is like a thing that's endemic with all coaches. You, know, you see it. You name a guy. They all do it. They all just, they can't. It's like like security blankets, you know. Um, like, a, what's that little Linus, is it, who has the little blanket? You know, it's just mm-hmm. like that. And, and uh, every NHL coach seems to do it. So it's not like Cap is like a uniquely bad coach. Like, I kind of think, think maybe they're all kind of bad, except for a few guys who seem to really, you know, get a lot out of their lineups, you know. Um, Babcock and, and, and Boudreaux, for example. Um, but even Boudreaux is playing Clayton Stoner. It's god-awful. So, you know, and, and, and just because he's a vet, and that's that's the kind of things they do, shot-blocking vet. You know, Alain Vigneault is supposed to be some great coach. A lot of Islander fans wish that he was our coach, and this guy trots out Tanner, Tanner Glass every night. Probably the worst player in the NHL, Dan Girardi, who's probably the worst defenseman in the NHL. So they're all bad. Get used to it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't say it anymore, but because I have a little bit of a local audience here from time to time, at least when I attend games, I've – I have been known to, to, to opine that Brian Boyle is actually the worst NHLer since Peter Worrell, but I'm not mm. allowed to say that anymore because I'm like, um, my, uh, uh, my, my, my five-year-old skater that he is, and he's only been uh, about twice in his life, but hey, what are you going to do? That's, uh, yeah. again, that's something I got to throw out for now. Yeah. Brian Boyle is not a, not a particularly great player. Um, He's better than Tanner Glass. I mean, <laughs> Tanner Glass is garbage. Tanner Glass is not only a garbage hockey player, he's a garbage person to go with it. So, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we should uh, wrap up on uh, Jay. And, yeah, uh, great talking to you guys. Good talking to you. Thanks for uh, stopping by. We'll have you back on uh, next time. And yeah. uh, hopefully we'll have better uh, better things to talk about. Yeah, we will. I, I feel so it. Too. I feel it. All I right. feel it in my uh, in my no no spots. So yeah, you feel it in your plums. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. All right, boys. I'll I'll see That's you guys Friday. Nice, Take Jay. care. All right, bye bye. All right, and I think uh, we should take a, a call as soon as the system uh, actually allows me to, because this poor person has been on hold. Howdy, you're on Isles Beat. Hey, how's everybody doing tonight? How's it going? Yeah, I just left work. It's uh, it's Brandon. I uh, want to uh, make a call uh, to go to the podcast of sanity, as I call it. Uh, hey, Brandon, how are you? I'm glad very, we very, have you on finally. Oh man, I left. I thank God I got cut early from Outback. Um, I was only recently able to like, catch like the last ten minutes, so I don't know what you both were discussing like the hour beforehand. So, like, oh, no what problem. was uh, discussed prior? Well, that's all right. You oh, can nothing, go right nothing. back into it because there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to even repeat. What, what's the what are the bullet points though? Like, of like, uh, is like generally like what you posted like in the uh, the blog earlier? Because I Pretty read the much. whole thing. I, it, it it's basically uh, I think that uh, you know I've cited that uh, some you know the game three is really I feel that really based on. Uh, bad coaching decisions and mistakes in game management um, in the th- in the third period. Also, that uh, Thomas Grice has not been uh, Thomas Grice uh, this series, or at least past game one. And uh, you know, 
and JT needs to score. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, other than that, I think uh, John uh, is pretty much in the same ballpark. Uh, what else, John? Any other bullet points that I missed? No, you know, I, I've gone back and forth with, with Brandon a bit on Twitter talking about uh, our <laughs> relatively varying opinions on Capuano, but I think he would even agree that, as I said earlier in the show, I've been a, a bit nicer to him only because, I mean, Capuano, that is not Brandon. I've always been nice to Brandon, I believe. But, uh, I, you know, I've had to out of respect for the fact that he made it out of the first round. But again, we talked about that decision in the, in the final minute to have it's a Varys line out there. Uh, and of course the goal that was given up, I know that there were some differing perspectives. I believe it was even Brandon who uh, uh, put the article or at least the uh, sentiment to my attention regarding why uh, Nielsen was out there as well. In case somebody got tossed in the face off that I get all that. Uh, but we did spend some time on that and talking about how he left that time out in the pocket and didn't have the proper matchup out there to close out the game. I also made the point, Brandon, and maybe you can, give us your thoughts on this, but I, uh, I made the point out that I don't think that line should really ever be out there defending a lead late in a playoff game for a variety of reasons. And even if they get the job done, they become a, a potential target for anybody on the Tampa Bay Lightning after the final, final buzzer sounds uh, that wants to kind of rough it up a little bit. So I can't see really any reason why that should have happened, but we've been over that. But, you know, in, in a nutshell, I do think that, that coaching has some serious culpability for this last result. Oh, absolutely, it, and and I I agree on certain players that were lined up. I don't agree with uh, th- like not wanting Tavares in there because he was pretty good in faceoffs as that game. However, I don't agree with Ocposo being out there because he doesn't strike me as like a defensive type of forward. Like as bad as Kuhlman's been, he's good on the PK. You need somebody like Kuhlman in this situation. Like, Apostle blows his coverage, boom, tie game. Like, I, that, so that's the decision I have. With, uh, that's my issue that I had with uh, Capuano's lineup decision. I have, maybe if you win the faceoff, unfortunately we didn't win the faceoff, so tough result, horrible result. Though I picked us to lose this game and win Friday, so hopefully that prediction comes true. It was just a real, real heartbreaker, and though – I was very busy serving. I got to see that goal happen, and I cannot smile for the rest of my shift. It was a real, real heartbreaker to see. Like, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was a really – it was not smart to put, in my opinion, a pulse on that lineup. And, you know what I'm saying, if JT wasn't doing so good in the faceoffs, like, if he was, like, 3 for 11, then, yeah, I would have no problem with not wanting him in that faceoff. But since he was doing pretty good, best player against best player – and keeping Nielsen in there to rotate in case you get bounced, that's okay. It's just I didn't think Alposo was uh, the viable candidate at the time. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, you know, that, that's, a great, that's a great point of clarity because, uh, you know, in my opinion, Alposo made the, the most egregious error in that, on that shift that, that led directly to the goal. I mean, he was the guy that was on that side of the ice that gave Drew initially all that space, let him dance oh. around a little bit, put himself in a position to make the perfect pass, and, you know, you got to give the Lightning credit for finishing the play. But, you know, you have several options at that point, and nobody wants to get shorthanded. But, man, I'd love to see somebody tackle somebody or knock somebody on their ass rather than walk right in and put themselves in a position to make a play like that. I saw it exactly. coming. It was, it was one of those terrible feelings that you, that you have when you know a team as well as we all like to think that we do here. 
Uh, and, and, you know, unfortunately, my, my premonition came true. So hopefully uh, Brandon's prediction is, is correct. We can get back on the positive side of things here. And maybe he was uh, clairvoyant the whole time that they would lose three, win four, and head back my way here to Tampa with a, with a tied series. I think we'll all take that gladly at this point. Well, actually, and this is going to sound really bad to me, I actually picked us to lose this series. And it has nothing to do with uh, us uh, not being as experienced as Tampa. Well, actually, that is one of the reasons. I just don't think defensively we match up with that triple line for Tampa. And especially when we have to go fast, if we don't have home ice advantage against Tampa, that's going to dictate a lot of matchups. And I think you're starting to see, like, a lot of hesitation with the play of Calvin DeHaan. Like, in his own end, like, he's taking a lot longer to make pass to pass. He's not finishing his checks as well. And I think, for some reason, I don't think Boychuk seems healthy. He seems to be favoring his shoulder. Like, every time he's, like, skating stride for stride, he's always tugging his arm in. And he just doesn't seem right. Like, I just don't think this ma- – I, I hope I'm wrong. It would be great for me to be proven wrong. Like, I – I uh, I picked the Islanders to lose in six against the Capitals last year, and they won the six games. So I have no problem being proved wrong. I just don't think in terms of matchups with the home ice advantage Tampa has, I see Tampa winning this in seven because of the matchups. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just – I don't think defensively we're going to match up well. Two drops on fire. And unless, unless Tavares can get going – like unless like he can get out of uh, out of the way of Victor Hedman, unless he could go through that, like as the team goes, he goes. And I don't think you're going to see all that secondary scoring happen on the road like you do at home. What do you think? Well, you know, it it, it, it as I've uh, brought up earlier, um, one of the things that uh, you know we definitely haven't seen and. Uh, um, that especially since game one is that the Islanders have been unable to really uh, contain the smaller, faster forwards of, of Tampa Bay. Um, this is why, you know, it became a scoring fest um, in game three. And, uh, you know, the only time that they seemed to do that was in game one and the, the Tampa adjusted. And uh, that that's what has me so concerned about game four. Um, if you cannot contain those forwards, um, especially that top line, you know, and, and, you know, obviously you need Grice to play better and, and you need your best players to play better. Um, I, I don't think it's going to go very far in terms of that. Uh, it could, this could be, if you can't contain the Tampa forwards and do the type of game one game, even if Bishop is uh, playing better, um, I don't think you can go much further in this series. So this 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 is really key for me in Game Four. And you know, if the if the team can't do that, it, this could be a series that ends very quickly. Not even to a Game Seven, if 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 they falter in Game Four, I really don't see them going back to Tampa with another home loss. And, uh, and another failure to contain the forwards to be able to to pull anything out of this. I think it, that they're starting to show the phrase in this round two. Exactly. I know that's a little depressing. Sorry. Uh, it, it is depressing. 
Well, I, I want your opinion on this. Game two, um, obviously, Saturday morning games, are, I think, are the Islanders' kryptonite. I mean, they haven't won a single Saturday morning game at all. They've only won three Saturday games overall this year. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But as bad as they were throughout the first 12 minutes, Bryce really wasn't on his game. Now, I just want to know, I mean, like the third goal was a freak deflection off of the Han skate and everything. But what Tampa did in game one when they uh, pulled Bishop and put Vasilevsky in there, it woke them up a little bit. Like, hey, hey, you see what you're doing defensively? You're making this, you're shaking this guy's up confidence. You got to play better. And look what happened in the third period, and actually late second period, Tampa like got their got their shit together. They pulled through. Although they didn't win the game, they were like putting the Islanders on their heels. And I was wondering, like, do you think that could have had the same effect if we pulled in Grice? I mean, poor Ruby. I think he would get lit up like a Christmas tree in reality, but. Do you think that that could have woken the team up a little bit in the third period if they pulled right uh, at that time? I don't think so because um, and, and that and that's the issue. One one of the things that Grice hasn't done well is is, is the high danger situations, those key saves in the in the where where they mean so much in the playoffs. And Barube, uh though everybody was, including uh, writers, getting on his bandwagon. Um, has had a re- horrendous, even though it's a small sample, a horrendous uh, uh, save percentage on high danger shots. And I don't know if there's anything that shows me in his game that he can make those. I don't know if you can really put him in there and, and expect uh, that much better because of that. that. That is one of my biggest concerns from his play over the course of the season, even though it was, a, once again, a small sample size. I have not walked away um, from that and seeing his stats in that situation and knowing that the Islanders really hone in on wanting goalies with high danger um, save percentages. Um, he really doesn't have that right right now. And I don't know if that's very comforting to place him in and hope for the best because even though Grice in game three was only getting 70%, if you have a goalie that's getting in there and it only makes half 50% of those type of saves, it's a much bigger um, uh, uh, you know, goal differential. So I, I really don't think that's that kind of situation. But I, I do want to move on to other, um, other items as we close up. I really appreciate the call, Brandon. Thanks a lot, Brandon. We'll have you on again soon. And just to, to kind of to, to close that point out, I know that he was talking about um, game two uh, when the Islanders ultimately fell 4-1. When, when the Lightning made that move on Bishop in game one, the Islanders were up 4-1. to one. And, you know, I don't – I think you have to be really careful as to when you're going to pull a goaltender. I mean, let's be honest, Thomas Grice is the guy right now, whether Halak comes back or not, barring a major catastrophe or complete mental breakdown or whatever else we don't see coming. Um, so if you, if you make a move there, I mean, think about that podcast we had a couple months ago when uh, when Halak first got hurt and Baribi got hot, just you like re- referred to, a couple of the writers were getting all hot on him. Fans were going crazy as far as Baribi goes. Uh, and then we started having this conversation about what happens when Halak comes back three-headed goalie monster. I mean, could you imagine having to have that conversation again in the playoffs? I mean, you don't even want to entertain that <laughs> notion uh, unless you absolutely have to. 
Um, at, at first, I thought he was talking about last night's game, and last night's game was a situation where whether you thought Grice played well or not, uh, you know, it's very rare, especially in the playoffs, that you would ever see a goaltender pulled in, a, in what was basically a one-goal game all the way throughout. And I don't care if it's, uh, you know, 9-8 to eight as the end result. Um, when you do that, you're looking to do a few things. Either you either recognize, and I'm talking whether it's the regular season or the playoffs, you either recognize that your goalie just doesn't have it on that particular day, or uh, the team needs a wake-up call. Uh, and I think especially when you have a goaltender of the caliber of Ben Bishop who's starting to emerge as a perennial Vezina candidate, uh, when you make that move, you have to really think it through even more. Uh, and, but it, when you do have to make it, it tends to have even more of an impact. I think we saw some of that in game one for Tampa. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of cliches in, in the hockey vernacular uh, that are you know, wildly overstated. Um, but I think if, if in the future, if anybody ever talks about when they're kind of teaching the game to somebody that doesn't know, uh, you know, as deeply as others might, you know, why a team would pull their goaltender and what effect it might have and why in a playoff series, if you're down several goals, it's still good to rally and then maybe, uh, you know, uh, to build some momentum, even if you still might lose, they might use game one of this series as the number one case study for the the intended effect of that situation. It worked for Tampa, and nobody can argue that they haven't had most of the momentum since then, even though it was a back-and-forth affair last night. I mean, it's carried through to a two-to-one advantage uh, when at one point they were up against the one-to-nothing deficit. So uh, that was, uh, you know textbook execution and what you hope to have happen when you make a goaltender pull like that and you rally uh, around it for the lightning. Hopefully the Islanders can figure out a way to send momentum in the other direction before they come back down here to my home state to visit me here. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing. Tampa Bay, look, that game was, uh, you know, uh, almost out of hand. And then all of a sudden they started to get their, uh, act together in, in that game one and start to come back and was able to walk away from game one with positives. And that's very dangerous because they already made the adjustments in that third period. And which ended up carrying further uh, with a, a much better goalie and a much better showing uh, by Bishop in, in game two. So yeah, you know, Tampa, Tampa has walked away from that and uh, really been uh, a much stronger team. And at the same time, the Islanders seem to be kind of floating. And Tampa is not the team that the Islanders are going to be able to have that type of resiliency that they had with Florida. And it just shows that there are issues with this team throughout this playoffs and and there's a lot to talk about with the autopsy and and, then there's nothing to take away they got through florida they made it happen um and they are seeing um some shortfalls and some phrase to the to to their um to many different items i think from coaching to to player performances that carried over to even through the season um for certain players and there's a lot to be adjusted and worked on. And I think it's going to be a very interesting summer. And I think that's the one thing that I kind of sat with today is, you know, the thing that, for, you know, we all get all hyped and, and all angry and it's the second round, but the second round really, and as, as somebody put on Twitter is, is a little bit of gravy. Um, and, and this is true. And I think that we lose sight of it. And I, I do think um, uh, as, as Jay had brought up with the fans uh, throwing things onto the ice, 
there is a, uh, and we've talked about this before, there is an aspect of, of shitlery that uh, is with the Islander fan base at times um, that is true of probably any fan base of just rotten apples. And, you know, I really think that people that are around them should have no patience for it. It, it it's just a bad call. It's bad form. It's bad sportsmanship. It's bad everything. And it, it's a, a case of just anger and entitlement. And it's, it really is an embarrassment. And it's probably about the only thing I'll say about that. Um, I really don't want to keep seeing more things about the Islander fan base. I, I agree with you, and uh, on the, you know I've said that before, but uh, like you said, there's bad apples in every bunch. And uh, one more time to one of my highlights from this particular episode, I'd like to single out you, sir, in the stands at Amal Arena in Game One, who yelled out "Coochie." That was not nice, and I don't care if that's what you think <laughs> that man's nickname I is. I was it was offended. actually "Coochie Coochie Coo," but you know it gets well, lost in translation. Listen, hopefully between now and when we come back next week to discuss the happenings of, uh, let's see, what would have been at least game four and five, yes, um, probably, um, we, uh, we, won't have, we won't have to talk about how much Coochie Coochie Coo's name has been mentioned because uh, hopefully it'll be an afterthought. I have uh, had a fantastic time this evening and it's brought me out of the funk that last night put uh, the cloud that it put out, the dark cloud it put over my head all day today. Uh, it was nice to get Mike on. It was nice to hear from Jay again. It was nice to have Brandon call in. And it's always nice to spend time with you, sir. So I'm going to say one more time that I'm sticking with my prediction because I'm a positive guy. Isles in six. We'll take it in seven. Hell, we'll take it in – well, can't take it in five now, can we? Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's been another great show. I'm John Jordan. You're P.D. Galloff, right? I, I didn't lose you, did I? Nope, I'm still here. So – and. Right. Uh, yeah. Yep, you've been listening to Isles Beat. We thank everybody for listening once again. And uh, like I said, we will see what happens and which Islanders come out in game four. Uh, this has been a little bit of recovery, and there's been a lot of, you know, a little bit of concern. And I think that we have a lot to think about and a lot to talk about if, uh, you know, if things go south. But this is an Islander team that has gotten into the second round and uh, could very well, uh, you know, Win game four, you're going back to Tampa tied. It's even Steven, at, you know, and that's, and that's the best you can hope for. And that's what we need to see next. So until then, till next week, folks, appreciate you all listening. And uh, until then, bye-bye. See ya. Make it so, number one.